Yo, welcome back. Well, that sounds a little loud. It's been too long. I don't even know how to work the soundboard anymore. It's your boy Josh coming back to you with the final episode of season one. Part three with my dad. Um, can we just agree that 2020... We just want this to be done with and over with. It's been too crazy. So we are days away from Christmas and um, it feels weird. I really don't know what to feel. But I am finally, I'm excited to finally release episode uh, or part three with my dad and close out this season and gear up for the second season which is gonna have a bunch of new cool stuff some different segments some uh reoccurring new segments and a co-host and it's gonna be so much fun we're gonna talk about different current topics more on uh just a kind of conversation of course we're still gonna have special guests and interviews um and a reoccurring segment with uh two other guys that you'll hear about real soon uh, so stay tuned guys make sure you like and subscribe thank you so much for sticking with me all this time thanks for listening thanks for the support gonna try to be more consistent for sure in season two i know we got you know taken off track with covid and not being able to do in studio uh interviews kind of sucks so you know just gotta adapt now and, and get used to doing it on zoom so i think we dialed in the uh the audio as you'll hear in this episode with my dad shout out to my boy rafael rojas the duck himself on instagram for this sick beat he's gonna be doing all the music on still searching in season two so yes guys get ready for part three with my dad we talk about you know coming back from san francisco and coming back to los angeles and starting over again and uh the work that he's currently doing and we get into it towards the end on on you know uh police reform and uh justice issues and um you know and how we're just trying to do our part to serve our community in those different avenues so yes let's jump into this episode uh part three uh season finale of uh season one one whole year in the books and like i said guys thank you so much for listening um really appreciate everybody all the love and support so enjoy here's uh my dad pastor rudy back to the still searching podcast uh episode number three of the finale and we are i think over two months since our last recording because we just can't get together <laughs> it wasn't COVID related yeah it's all of the above it's uh COVID, it's everything it's 2020 winding down it's the holidays um 
but I finally got them and we're not even in person. We're doing it via Zoom. Our first time releasing it. Hopefully it's going to sound okay. See if we can play with it, the audio. But he's back. My dad, Hi. Pastor Rudy. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Thank you, Josh, for having me back. Yeah. So here we go. Um, so just to recap, uh, we did part one, which was uh, kind of the backstory of just your background growing up in, 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 the, in Pacoima, Selmar, and different areas, and coming to, to giving your life to Jesus. And then second part was the Bay Area experience and where I come into the picture and all that great stuff. And then so now part three is kind of catching up on coming back to Los Angeles and present times. And hopefully we can conclude it tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we got some good feedback on uh, on both of them. I know you did. You got a ton of you were sharing messages that you were getting with me um, from people from the Bay Area from the from the part two. Yeah, it went really well, Josh. And um, I, I was, I, you know, I'm actually sitting here thought you were going to roll on some music or something. But yeah, it uh, I did get some really good feedback, just like uh, and actually memories too. So we yeah. have people here from the San Fernando Valley that gave me feedback, and they just went back in their mind, back all the way to the. Oh, your auntie Pat, your sister yeah, Pat, Pat, and um, you know, just um, you know, the memories, you know, because there's certain things I, I almost, you know, she reminded me of. I was like, wow, you're right. Oh yeah. man, there's so I much. Scared the heck out of her, Josh. <laughs> she got scared. Well, you know, the old story goes: get right, get left. You know, oh, the way you were uh, scaring people to to receive Jesus back. Correct. In Correct. The way I scared the heebie-jeebies out of you. Yeah. The same way you scared me when I was like six, seven years old and my head was going to get chopped off. Well, they were going to start with your fingers, but yeah. <laughs> hey, I thought you were going to play this uh, roll in here. So that's why I was kind of like hesitant. Just oh, waiting to do you your music. intro. Here you go. All right. Thank you. Oh, we're in. I said we're rolling. <laughs> The little homie Nate. Yeah, yeah. Josh was playing some good stuff. This is Nate. His uh, mom and dad were in our church up in the Bay Area, Mission District, San Francisco. Josh is more familiar with music, man. Yeah. yeah when you were blasting earlier, it was real good. Yeah, I, I like, I like, uh, I like the the homie Nate. He's um, he releases some really good music. So, uh, Judge, did you want to, uh, you know, I, I think because we left off in San Francisco, and as a matter of fact, somebody got a hold of me today that, um, you know, goes way back. And when when we came back from San Francisco, uh, at that point of, uh, uh, in time, she was actually the mayor, uh, the first female mayor here in San Fernando, and uh, Joanne uh, Beltrez. Um, shoot, uh, I went blank on her. Um, um, was that her? Fernandez. Yeah, Fernandez. Um, 
Baltierres Fernandez. Anyway, she was the uh, mayor when we first uh, got back. You know, one of the things I, uh, the take backs that I get, you know, when we went to go into San Francisco and uh, start um, hitting the streets and all that, for whatever reason, God began to give us young people. But there was another dimension that the Lord really opened up to us, and that was that through um we also got experience in the um political arena at the time it was mayor feinstein that was there and there was also one of the first black city council and i don't have her name in front of me that was appointed uh, in san francisco she actually had visited our church but uh, i'm saying all that backdrop just to say because it plays into what we're doing now here um, moving forward uh, after leaving San Francisco, I, I got to say that back then in San Francisco, you know, the political door somewhat, the connection um, into City Hall had opened up to us. But the reality is, you know, I, I really had no clue. And just like, you know, um, you know, in the old days, we used to say, like, come out from among them, touch not this you know, unclean thing and all that, be separate and... Um, so we took it even on the political side of it. Um, and there were as our African-American brothers that through what Martin Luther King did and the struggle and the fight, how that they really uh, gained a lot from that to move into the place that we see now because we're living in a whole new world. But I said all that to say that now back here in the San Fernando Valley, uh, you know, uh, when we first got back here, of course, the first thing we did was we connected with Praise Chapel and... Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what, what, what made you want to come back? So after being there uh, for a while, you know, we just... Ten uh, years. Ten years. So we lasted ten years in San Francisco. And I, I think, you know, we also hit a, um, a point, a wall, it seemed like, you know, that... Like we needed a change, you know, like something needed to happen. You know, sometimes you yeah. hit like a wall and it's dry and you just, man, you know, what next, you know, type thing. Uh, because I got to say is originally when we went to San Francisco and I, like I tell your mom, I went over there with, not with the intent to die, but in other words, you know, to stay there until we're, we're done you know, our life is over. And of course, you know, we went through a lot of struggles and all that, you know, that um, we faced up, up in the Bay and um, went through stuff and also feeling the um, like, man, it's time for a change and all that. And I could never see myself leaving. Mm. It wasn't until I allowed some um, some um, men of God, you know, not too many people, um, you know, agree with the word of faith and whatnot. But I heard uh, Hagen say something that really impacted me and that was how that he had been doing a pastoring for like 12 13 years and then boom all of a sudden he felt like god was bringing him into another area to leave that particular place or spiritual calling or locality where he was and to leave that and to do something else so I, i'm sharing that only because uh that's when i began to feel like I wasn't going nowhere. I was planted and I'll, I'll stay there till the wheels fall off. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, those, those uh, ideas begin to come to me like, Hey, Rudy, God wants to do something different. 
like you're going to go into a different phase, a different um, uh, phase uh, of your calling. And that's when, you know, I realized like, you know what, maybe it is time to leave San Francisco because I, I, I love the Bay, you know. I really got hooked on uh, San Francisco and all that we felt like the Lord was doing there and all the people that we got connected to and we just fell in love with it. But um, so when we came back, boom, the first thing I started doing was going from one church to another church, preaching. And then, of course, I started going international. I don't even know if you remember because you're. Such yeah, a no, guy. I mean, I, I was uh, I was ruined. I was crushed. I was destroyed leaving San Francisco. Like I was. Uh, yeah, I was my home. So, you know, an eight year old kid gets. uh you know, you just get uprooted from everything you know, and uh, just remember hating it. I, I didn't want to leave, oh um, <laughs> and uh, I've shared this many times on my podcast that I, uh, I thought I had this notion in my head that I was going to get killed, like I was going to die in Los Angeles, and you guys were going to get shot too. Um, only because of like media programming of like, oh. Los Angeles is, you know, gang infested. People it was. get. LA was banned. Josh. Well, yeah, it was. It was the night, you know, early early nineties. We came back in nineteen ninety, so there was a height of the height of like, you know, Los Angeles gang banging in the streets and ninety two riots and all that stuff. So, but the image in my head was like, I'm gonna get killed, or my parents are gonna die, and we're gonna get shot. So I was like, hated it. So I was eight years old. So. I can imagine Noah, you know, feeling like if I just uprooted him and because he's already a sensitive guy anyway. And so he I, I could imagine him just being totally just destroyed or, you know, what I mean, like just feeling just lost and uprooted. Um, so, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and Josh, remember uh, one of the churches that I went to go speak in Lakeview Terrace? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A dude was was <laughs> stole a car. And was like flying down Osborne and crashed. 80, 90 miles an hour, man. Yeah, I remember that. And he got and, out and he was naked, right? Yeah. Like well, I don't know if you remember the whole thing. So we're in the parking lot, you know. I don't even think we ate tacos that night. But usually, you know, usually we eat tacos after. But boom, this truck is going about 80, 90 miles an hour. Wham, ran through the red light on, on um, Glen Oaks. And um, Osborne heading down toward... Uh, towards San Fernando Road. Right. And at that time, there was a field there. Boom, he crashes through that thing, and the truck goes through there, and he hits a wall, you know, not real bad. So by then, we made our way down, and the homie gets out, the you know, naked, running around, and he was saying he was Jesus, actually. Wow. So he was out. You know, so I know that that added to the trauma, you know. Yeah, and, and then, then, and then yeah, that. and then you're just like, you know, a new, you go to a new church and all these new kids are there, and you know, it's just a different, everything was just different. So, yeah, yeah um, that was my childhood experience of that. So, you came back and you were trying to get something rolling. You plugged into Praise Chapel, uh, which was a, a an established like um, local ministry who like was trying to branch out into the world or worldwide ministry and things like that you had yeah. connected with mike stevens right yeah correct so mike stevens used to come up and and preach for us and all that and uh so we had developed a a, a good um uh 
relationship, a friendship. And so we had it in our mind that we're, we're going back, we're coming back to the Valley and we're going to uh, hook up with Mike Stevens. And uh, I didn't really come back, you know, thinking I'm going to be a pastor or assistant, his assistant or anything. I just came back, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't come back with a promise. Like, hey, you're going to be a assistant pastor this. Oh, time. Okay, I, I didn't back. know. That. Yeah, I just came back and boom! I just started um, going to preach uh, different churches um, here uh, in in Northern California, Southern California, and I think even in Arizona. And then from there, began to go international. Went to. Uh, Amsterdam, didn't preach in Amsterdam, but just laid over to go to Germany, then to Africa, Ghana, Africa. And then, of course, later on, it opened up to the Philippines and then to Hong Kong. And, um, man, I loved it. You know, just um, it was a great opportunity. It just gave me a global perspective just to see what people live like and and what what other people value in other countries. I seen kids literally that valued a pencil, just yeah. a, a pencil. I mean, oh my God, you know, the pride in, in Ghana, Africa that I seen where uh, kids would be out there, you know, uh, selling candies or pencils and wearing didn't they the call uniform. You, didn't, call, didn't they call you white man? In well, Africa? yeah, actually. So uh, they, you know, I went to go preach. Uh, they took me out way out in the, I don't know where in the heck I was at, but uh, in the boonies, it was, you know, we went for uh, into this, like a village. And I just remember it was dark and they had lights set up. They had a generator and a power system. And um, uh, when we pulled up, you know, as we're going real slow, there's a crowd of, of people there and uh, the kids are running alongside of the car, you know, grabbing my hand, like trying to touch my arm and all that and saying something like Wanduli or Wanguli or I don't know. So I, I, yeah, not even, they, they must have been hearing in the spirit. <laughs> Changudis, not knowing that that's what they used to call me. But it, literally what it meant was a uh, white man or something. So I'm like, what the, I think that's what he said. It, it meant that. But um, anyways, Josh, I got to tell you is that, um, there in Africa, because that's, you know, when I first came back, that's what I came back to. And, um, you know, um, in Africa, I, I remember uh, as I was getting ready to speak and preparing, I was off, I went off to the side and I'm just like looking up into the stars and I'm, I'm looking at the stars and boom, all of a sudden um, I felt like the Lord was he reminded me, I don't know why I said this, but years ago I said, Lord, whatever you do, don't ever send me to Africa. <laughs> why I said that or how in the heck it even came up to my mind or anything like that, I, I'm clueless. Um, but I remember, you know, when I was kind of like um, ready to come to the Lord and all that and, you know, wrestling with just the whole notion of, you know, who is this God? And, not, you know, just feeling and sensing the tug, the presence, the love of God and sensing all that. I, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I was, you know, inside this inner struggle that I kept having about answering, you know, a, like a, giving God a, a reply to the divine 
call to the divine pull that he was giving to me and um and in that i guess negotiation with god and i remember saying yeah lord you know you know in my mind i'm saying okay lord but don't ever send me to africa i don't know why i had this idea about africa as a crazy place don't ever go there and um yeah the lord reminded me just as i was staring at the at the um up into the sky and looking at the sky the stars and the darkness with the light and the background and they're praising god and boom all of a sudden man i get this um um, you know, just this experience, um, of, of course, I found an epiphany, just the Lord just, um, you know, speaking to me, uh, reaffirming, like, you, you didn't want to come here and here I brought you and I was, yeah. blessed, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, a worldwide, I think everybody should travel outside people, specifically in the United States. I mean, it would do us a world of good to see what life is like in other parts of the world, especially third world countries. It's completely life-changing paradigm shifting. Um, <clears throat> I was in a zoom conference call with some friends, uh, like educated friends and Angelina was here and we were giving her advice on, you know, if, if she's going to go to college or, or whatnot, if she wants to, and everybody unanim unanimously said, like, if you have a chance to study abroad, do it. It's completely life-changing. So, um, yeah, no, I understand. I remember stepping foot in, in Nigeria and you just see life from a different perspective. Like, oh, wow. You mean not everybody lives the way we do in the United States, you know, um, to see how life is like in other parts of the world is just is something else. And, and I think also their their value, um, you know, system or just like they really value and then the contrast you know the the huge contrast uh there that i've seen in ghana like you know number one the you don't have paved streets and number two you got like the the what the restroom or what do you call it yeah. uh, the gutter where they're using the restroom and right next to that you know when i say the kids um coming out of the school would literally come out with their own little cup and they would give um, give them uh, a, a CD or two, you know, little coin. I think uh, now I, I can't remember if CD is a regular bill or the coin. I can't remember, but um, what they would do is give a. Oh, coin. that's what the currency was called, CD. Yeah, the, yeah, the currency. And what they would do is the the lady that was cooking on the near the the dump and all that, or the you know, the what. The gutter, yeah, but it was more like the cesspool, really. But anyways, uh, I, I just seen the contrast because, you know, you would see that, the rundown school. I seen even like a, a wannabe theater that a guy took a lot of pride in that he created this theater. And it was like like rundown sofas, you know, yeah, like chairs and some big TV, you know, like, I mean, old school. But anyways, the contrast was that you, you'd have like beat up, run down, hut looking. And there I, I seem like it looked like a mansion with 20 feet walls, you know, around it. Right. And glass, you know, glass, cut glass, uh, you know, surrounded. So if you try to jump the fence. Well, it's like and, a barbed wire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They had that glass. and the glass, you know. Right. But it was crazy because, you know, you, you see the wealth, the rich, 
you know, somebody yeah. living high in the hog while kid, you know what I mean? The starving. Right know, outside. So, yeah. So it, it's actually not too different than really <laughs> from the United States. Yeah, I, I think in a different level, um, you know, like one of the things that I say is that, you know, one of the things that um, that the America has, America's or America has is that, you know, welfare systems, um, you know, different programs and whatnot. And even though it's still in poverty, you know, I was listening to somebody today talk about uh, I mean, you know, you either eat or pay a bill, hmm. you know, you either yeah. get your kids some shoes or pay the, you know, utility. Yeah. So that's in America, you know, uh, and especially right now, as they're talking about the um, stimulus, stimulus package that they're looking at and what they want to give us and all that. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, that, so, so bring it back. Uh, around so you ended up uh, taking over the church while well, you were you actually were became the assistant pastor in, at well, yeah, Bible, so, and yeah, then you so, took it over eventually yeah so right away um i wasn't really looking for a position but you know right away mike um started having me speak uh and really play, play a, a big role uh within that you know and, um, you know, Mike was a pretty good guy to me, you know, um, you know, as far as like, um, I, and even helping to take care of us, you know, to, you know, what I mean, like, um, you know, making sure we're all right and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, of course, um, you know, I was doing preaching too, but, and then, man, that started going kind of, you know, when you're preaching somewhere and they're telling you, Hey, uh, can you hold that check for a week or two? <laughs> so we got to that kind of that that kind of thing, Josh. Where yeah. I'm like, man, you know, man, I love preaching and being over here for a few days, but I need to be able to pay the bills too. You know, I need to be able to, um, you know, sustainability. You know, I can. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm. You know, it's easy for somebody to say, but believe God. If you're called of God, then God's gonna do it. I don't. I've heard that for over forty years, man. Right. You know, where the struggle's there, the struggle's real, and people will say, believe God. If it's of God, God's going to take care of it and all that. Well, right. yes, but the struggle's still real. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you uh, ended up, he, so he, he brought you on staff, right? And then uh, having you do things in the church. And then you got a job, too. This is like yeah. the first time you got a job in a long time. You became a bus driver. Or yeah so yeah so literally is um annette was you know your mom was working at the bank and um her friend trish I, trish i think it was her fiance at the time uh let let her know that mta rtd at the time was hiring and um, um that's how i ended up going man you should have seen there three four hundred people at least and this is in 1991 mm -hmm you know, three, 400 people in line, right? Wow. To and go apply. Said, you gotta, you gotta have a GED, this, that. So I didn't have that either. So I started going to, um, what's that? North uh, Valley Occupational North, Center. Yeah. North Valley. And I just started opening the book because, you know, I got used to reading Bible and all that. So it wasn't a problem getting that, but, 
you know, even though I was going through the process of being hired and also, you know, taking these uh, evaluations, like they're really checking you out to see if you're not crazy. Some of the questions mm -hmm. that they're asking you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like one of them could be like, are we all doomed and there's no hope? <laughs> you <laughs> you can drive the bus off, off yeah, a cliff or something. Yeah, because I might be, we're all going to die, you know, and then I <laughs> yeah. drive crazy and, you know, kill everybody on the bus, you know. So Like Speed, the movie Speed. Yeah, psychological <laughs> evaluation somewhat, the way they, they frame those, the wording on that is like, it's it just trying to see really what you're about and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I did that. And then, boom, you know, it started, um, I got hired in that. And then, you know, there'd be times, man, I was working, uh, one time I worked the one, um, now I forgot what the heck we called it. Shoot. Anyways, I worked one where I was working two days, two, um, one week I was doing um, two days, uh, two swing and one graveyard. So, wow all in one week, you know, but I took that because I wanted to, um, you know, be in church on Sunday morning. So that's why I took that run. That's what it was called to run. I, I put the bid on that run. It was a lousy run. Nobody was going to bid on it. I didn't have that much seniority. Right. But I, but I, I, I wanted that one so I could be in church and that's what I did, you know? So you said it was two swing shifts and an overnight in the same week? Uh, yeah, uh, two swings and two days in a graveyard, I think it was. Eesh. Yeah, Man, it was crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've done graveyard. I do not do well in graveyard. Not at all. Oh, man. Well, I used to do a lot of graveyard when I was uh, like 19. But, you know, I was taking a lot of um, amphetamines. Uppers? Uppers, whites, blancas, you know, and man, <laughs> I was all jacked up, you know, trying to stay up all night and eating over at Tommy's and on Roscoe. <laughs> yeah, on Roscoe, because, you know, working over there at uh, worked at Day Pro uh, Rubber. Then I worked over at San Lito. I was running a print and um, people don't know what jogging is uh, off of a print when they run. The printers are running those sales magazines or, you know, um, those inserts that go into the paper. Well, when they yeah. come hot off the press, I was the guy that was tell the guy, crank it up. You know, I'm telling crank it up, you know, and the, and the guy was smiling. Mm. And I would just be running, jamming, you know, getting the paper, stacking them, you know. And so the news it was a newspaper. The Yeah. Oh, wow. It was nuts because I'd wake up like this shaking because, you know, just from the adrenaline and the drugs I was doing and yeah, yeah, yeah. it was bad, dude. I'd, I'd get cramps like crazy. And but it was anyways, at 19. <laughs> yeah. 19, 20 year old, man. I was, you know, 18, 19. Yeah. Doing all that stuff. And then of course, later on, I went to um, the Valley news and green sheet you know, and at that yeah. point, you know, that's an old newspaper in the Valley. But at that point, that's when, um, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. I smoke weed and um, all that kind of stuff. And I started getting to a point where I was, it was having some kind of psychological effect on me. Yeah. Where all of a sudden, man, I was paranoid and all this stuff that started coming on me. I had never experienced before. Yeah, you had like anxiety and heightened anxiety because of it. Yeah, well, the thing was, uh, is that um, 
I started feeling like, you know, like, man, I, I you know, like, man, I, I wanted God, but man, I'm messing up. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And that was the real heavy psychological impact. It seemed like, you know. Yeah. Okay. So you took over Praise Chapel for Mike in, was it 95? Yeah, I started in 95 and then. Then I left uh, MTA. By then, it became MTA in 1996. Mm. So, yeah, I've been there. We've been at uh, it, when the Azteca Theater was under Raul Negrete. And, uh, you know, of course, we went to City Hall to uh, petition and speak at City Council Chamber. And really, that was the first um, step ever that I really took to get involved in, in, in that arena of trying to influence decisions within a community hmm. because they were trying to um, not allow us to have church on the main um, thoroughway uh, because of the redevelopment that they were going to have. Right. Um, but our argument was that there was already a theater, that there's no, um, you know, there's no difference, you know, there's a, still a crowd, but we're, it's a different crowd. So there should be no distinction between, you know what I mean? As far as like our separation, we're doing the same thing, you know, gathering of people. But at that point, I also got involved with um, getting people to sign petitions and all that. And of course, then we showed up real strong to city council with testimonies. And uh, my, my word when I got up to speak was mainly just say that we're beautifying the city. We're we're restructuring, redeveloping and all this. And, uh, but yet the church needs to be in the middle of it because what good is it if you beautify a city, but you're not able to touch the hearts and lives of people that really need transformation. Yeah. You could even say that you're continuing to beautify the city by, by helping people rediscover their God given beauty within them, you know, and becoming beautiful, better people for the city. Yeah, so it, it uh, yeah, it really made a difference. And uh, that's one of the things that gave us a lot of favor is I, even with the original owner of the theater was that when he would come to collect the rent, you know, uh, uh, he'd come usually on a Friday night and uh, I'd have like, uh, there'd be like, I remember Mark Salazar uh, would be there or somebody and I would tell him, hey, uh, Mr. Negretti, see this guy? He was used to be in prison and, yeah. you know, he was going through it and blah, blah, blah. And now he's a, um, you know, he's uh, with his wife now. They're, they're reconciled and he's a productive citizen. He's giving back to the community. Right. And man, he just loved that, you know, just yeah. that whole notion of really touching people's lives. And then I found out at his funeral later on that he actually had helped to put a couple priests through the priesthood, you know, and I didn't even know that until wow. I went to his funeral after he passed away. So yeah. it made a lot of sense why he, he really liked what we were doing, you know? Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah I remember you telling me that after, like when you found that out, he was a real soft spoken kind of guy, right? Just yeah. kind Good of guy. real small guy. Yeah. Oh, man. The for years. He, you know, so that was guy, yeah. crazy because Josh, he probably wore the same pants and shirt. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, it wasn't, I'm sure he had money and all that, but he just, if he did, you, you just couldn't tell, you know. I wonder if anybody even remembers the Azteca Theater. You know what I mean? Like, 
a lot of people probably don't even realize that that was an old school theater for, for years. Yeah, that, I, I have heard a lot of people <coughs> talk about that, Josh. And yeah. uh, also that they used to have like crazy parties up in the second floor. And, <laughs> uh, junior. Yeah. Junior was doing parties up there. From what yeah. I mean. So so that's where I grew up with, uh, you know, all these knuckleheads, too. And, and, and this is like all of my my youth, my upbringing was based out of that theater you know like all the different kids that were in the youth group and and that that's like a big part of my my upbringing and my worldview was shaped in those times in the 90s late 90s early 2000s and uh, a lot of great times a lot of great time like I have really great memories you know and just um that was a that was a great time for me you know time obviously you know you're at that age where you're just you're learning everything you're learning uh all the wrong things all you know good things and it's it's for me it was always just like oh all these kids here you know they're all bad kids their parents are all ex you know drug addicts and cholos or whatever you know and they're all in church and their kids are trying to figure it out themselves yeah, um, I think, um yeah i think some of them you know they course they had um things they went through and issues we used to terrorize those, those homies at tommy's across the street every yeah. wednesday and friday night <laughs> you guys were like the the praise chapel radio homies you know, yeah messing with my clay boy no, so no. so here's here's what we remember too here's what we were doing like we we this whole the whole praise chapel thing is it was very similar to like victory outreach kind of thing in a way where um you know there was you know a strong latino former gang member um uh, geographic i guess i don't know or or you know that type of people went to those churches and so their kids were very similar you know what i mean like i said there were some of them were kind of flirting with with gangbanging a little bit and still being in church so when we would go to like conferences to praise chapel conferences it was almost like little gangs like all right all oh, praise chapel at huntington park we're praise chapel sanfe you know what i mean <laughs> and we, it was almost like little beefs there was a couple little scraps here and there and you know some of the the youth from our group were trying to hook up with their youth and they're like, Hey, you don't be coming over here no, trying to hit, hit on our girls. Highness, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, there was a fight one time at one of the conferences, but you, really? all the parents are, you know, are, are in the service and all the kids are going uh, -na 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 and all that. Huh? Yeah. And we're over here scrapping in the, at the hotel at the, you know, in the back or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, there was some funny stuff uh some weird stuff i remember yeah so th that's the those praise chapel days and then uh that was all through the 90s um into the 2000s and um yeah that those were those were some i remember there was a time too where when we first came back i, I don't know mom's probably i don't know if she's listening but i remember me and mom were like we didn't want to go to church for a little while you know we were just like uh we were just kind of like over church I don't know if this was like before you took it over or we would just, I, I don't know if she rem would remember or recall that. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe I think it was right before. Yeah. yeah. I think she was sensing and feeling stuff and yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, but uh, yeah, there was all kinds of weird stuff going on. You know what I always said is that if you want to know what's going on, hold on. Hi, Chewy. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. you want to know what's going on is um, the youth got it. They know it all. <laughs> yeah. They know what's really happening. You know, whatever's happening in the church is uh, the kids know. Why? Because they hear their parents. You know, they hear, they really do know what's going on. And that's how, you know, some of the certain things, that's how they begin to come out and leak yeah. out and all that. And of course, uh, yeah, but um, I got to say too, is that out of that um, really um, launched me or um, really helped me to move in what I had been exposed to in San Francisco along the political arena. Mm-hmm. Um because I used to hear about Delancey Street in San Francisco, and it always intrigued me. Delancey Street restaurant, they got Delancey Street uh, restaurant, they got Delancey Street, um, now they do uh, movers and who knows what, and they got a huge properties. What in- intrigued me about it was that they were doing re-entry and whatnot, and I met uh, some of the people that were part of uh, there. I was at a, the Mayor uh, Feinstein, some event they did, whatever, but uh, I had met them, but I never really pursued it. But anyways, I said that because um, I, I, there, was, there wasn't really tangibles that I walked away with from, um, from the experience of the political scene in San Francisco uh, versus that I walked away more like, you know, learning things, um, looking at certain things and, um, you know, moving forward. When we came to San Fernando, you know, the first time that um, the mayor reached out to me, it was uh, after the uh, attack on the Twin Towers, 2001. And the mayor at the time was Cindy Montanez, and she mm-hmm. actually reached out to me and, you know, to see if Pastor Rudy Just to kind of come. bring the, co- yeah, the prayer, yeah. bring the community yeah, together. You know, come, please, you know, come to the library plaza and boom, a bunch of us showed up and. You know, we were just really devastated because, you know, here, you know, you're looking at a country that you thought was strong and mighty and dominant and, you know, I almost want to say intimidating almost somewhat. But I mean, you know, that was a perception, you know, way back, you know, yeah. uh, a different era. And the reality was is that we found out, no, we weren't, you know, that we're open to um crumbling and attacks and you know being infiltrated right for whatever reason right um without getting too political on it but at that time is that that's where i began um to get involved not only through going to uh, city um hall and going to council um uh, meeting to you know speak on the behalf of why we need the church but also um at that time is it boom that's when i really started connecting more in the political scene but not really knowing what out what the outcome would be not like today i mean now you know we're we're man josh we're i've had the opportunity and i think even as faith center that we've had that opportunity to watch and just yeah. a huge paradigm shift even you with um, law enforcement and changes that we're seeing happen you know right so I'm going to briefly, I'm going to move forward, um, keep us on track before. So we ended up uh, 
into the i ended up leaving went to arizona in 2002 i think i came back in 05 you merged with another church in 2000 like six or eight or eight and then uh 2005 oh wow yeah Yeah. it was in 2005 that we merged something like that till about 08 09 and then you went on a little hiatus you guys retreated to like uh, ventura county for a few years or for a little while regrouped thousand oaks Oaks, and then you guys kind of felt that new change again like coming then you came back to the city and started faith center yeah um you know before we go back to faith center um I got to tell you that when I landed in Thousand Oaks, my first thing that I always felt, I don't know, I gravitate to this, was I wanted to get the pulse of, you know, the community, the youth, the vibe of what was happening. One of the first things I did was went to Lowe's. I was at Home Depot and there's a a teenager, young, young girl uh, working. She's helping me. So I'm like, hey, uh, so let me ask you. So. You know, back in the old days, I was into this, you know, I'm telling her, what are you doing nowadays? (laughs) Oh, you know, they're into heroin. And I mean, she looked like a baby to me. Right. And um, so, yeah, they're into heroin and um, in the high schools. And I'm like, what the I thought it was only in the barrio, but, you know, this was Thousand Oaks. So, you know, so, uh, boom, you know, I start researching, I find out through, I go to the uh, YMCA website, I land on the Thousand Oaks High School website, I found out that they were having a, a gathering of parents over at Thousand Oaks High School, and it was going to deal with addiction and heroin and also uh, over the counter. Mm, yeah, drugs and man, the Judge, I couldn't believe it. When Opiates. I walked into Thousand Oaks, I, the difference between in the barrio, the less underserved, um, you know, uh, in, poor in communities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, communities is that, man, the participation of parents was huge, mm. you know, because I had to walk through the school. Boom. I thought, wow, that must be the meeting. No, it was something else. And, you know, there was like a few things going on. And they were all very well attended. And for when I got to the auditorium where they're doing this talk, it was packed. And um, there was also a, um, a coach from one of the schools who had some of his students from another school because his son had OD'd on drugs. We had a, a lady out of Santa Clarita, Valencia, or somewhere out that way. Her son had OD'd. And, man, you know, they... Josh, they were so lost on what do we do? Yeah. What can we do? I mean, I could hear the cry, you know. And then at that point, I realized something is the difference between affluent neighborhoods and neighborhoods that that have resource connections and all that versus the barrio and down in the hood is in the hood and all that to get what they want and all that. They got to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. They got to do different things because of yeah, you got to put in work. You don't have money. Yeah. They got to put in the work. Why? Because the parents are are uh, working, struggling just to get by and just okay. to get their families through it versus the affluent. You know, over there they just they just have access to it. Yeah, so, they can get it. Yeah, so it would be like, hey kid, you know, you know, up there it would be like, hey, here, go to the mall. Boom, here's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, 
Well, they didn't know that with that couple hundred bucks. They were buying getting high. They were buying drugs. Getting high. The coach, his testimony was that he uh, called the doctor, approached them about his son, that he had very addictive behaviors, and that, please, don't prescribe these drugs to my sons, my son because of his uh, uh, addictive behaviors that he has. And um, sure enough, man, um, the doctor said, hey, is doctor, patient, um, you know, privacy, whatever. Right. And um, sure enough, man, he, he was making over $1,000 a month on that kid, you know, that youngster. Oh, uh, wow. You know, the amount of money he was making on him was huge. So for him... I don't know. I'm just saying that, you know, for him to just feed him, he's just lining yeah. his pockets and sure he was exploiting him and he, he, he overdosed. Yeah, he overdosed. I, so I, there was three stories that I heard that really impacted me. Um, were you working? Mom, were you working that? with CIS yet? Yeah, I was already with them, but, you know, um, not as heavy. You know, I mean, I, I was, but, you know, not really playing that role. Of, I was doing more gang intervention. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm um, you know, I, I'm just like looking, trying to get the landscape of what's really going on, you know, like in the different areas that we go into and just um, looking at the contrast between the affluent and the underserved and the less privileged and whatnot, you know. Mm -hmm. So it. Uh, from from that walk away, you know, it was such a heartbreaker because of the stories, you know, listening to one mom sending her son to Texas. And then because he had to come back to court, she set up his flight to come in late on Sunday so that that way he'll be tired and hit the sack, go to sleep and then get up in the morning. And then when he's done with court, get back on the plane and leave. Mm. Well, when they woke up in the morning, he was gone. And, uh, you know, and they're blowing, she's blowing up his friend's phone. They're not picking up. And then, you know, finally, you know, a, a friend picks up. Hey, he's got to be in court. Where are you? You know, yeah. okay, we're going to bring him over there. They brought him they, and he was kind of out of it. He said, all right, mom. All right. And, you know, he said, okay, I'm going to just sit here for a minute. They went inside and getting ready. When they came back outside, their son was dead. Wow. At, and at it, court. What's that? That happened at, at the courthouse? No, he never made it to court. Wow. Because she flew him in at night with the intent, bring him in late. Mm -hmm. The morning, wake him up, you go to court, and then Boom, after right back. court, eat, and then get on the plane and go back. That's how protective she was to keep her kid, you know, uh, safe and away from these things. And between landing uh, and then um, in the morning and, and appearing to court in the morning, he died in between, even though she took those steps to protect him and planned around that her plans, everything she did. She did everything right, you yeah. know, but he um, he snuck out and went and was partying all night and who knows what they gave him, whatever they gave him. It, it took time. It, it you know, it, when it hit him, boom, you know, he might have just slammed. I don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, it so it off. sounds like it sounds like to me like you you almost went completely full circle over these like 30 years of like your experience finding God doing ministry coming back to your hometown 
and getting plugged in to helping youth again and kind of leads you to what you're doing now because we're already at almost 50 minutes i'm just trying to keep us on yeah track. yeah absolutely you're right um and then but but this time it's like you're 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 more equipped years of experience countless hours of training we were talking about this the other day of how much training you've done through um champions in service and all the different avenues that that has brought has opened up to you yeah so you know uh you know number one blinky was uh, a major part in in getting me involved in blinky rodriguez blinky rodriguez um you know a champion you know a fighter uh, him and his wife of course were the first two to fight at the forum i believe as a couple you know fighting opponents and all that but um blinky's one um i remember in the 90s he um he was starting uh um you know the that whole movement he was already moving it after his son got killed but the other guy that has played a major major role in a lot of um uh opening or broadening my understanding um is uh bobby uh, arias bobby arias the coach you know yeah. msw mpa and you know um uh, uh a usc usc alumni alumni you know? yeah so and but the difference was that i seen the academia side of um uh, you know, social why it was work. important the social work side of it and tapping into USC and bringing that element. Of course, Bobby's always carried it with them, but also interjecting or um, integrating uh, that into that service, into that component of reaching and serving that, that community was huge the way that Bobby brought it in. So the reality is which I've was been, needed for sure. Oh, yeah, man. So I've been sitting under Bobby really. Because you can't have street dudes running, <laughs> running everything. You know, you got to have some order. Oh, I know, man. <laughs> like they say in Spanish, this madre, you know. Oops, sorry <laughs> for these Christians that, oh, you said this madre. But, um, which means. Yeah, like, no, yeah, Bobby's, Bobby's great. I'm, a, I'm always going to be a little salty of Bobby, just a little bit. Because I actually <laughs> try to get in and uh, into your program. Yeah. And um, I felt I nailed it. But, you know, I understand, I understand that, you know, he's, he's comes from academia and he wants, you know, it's important to have education. I just didn't have the education, but I was just trying to outweigh experience. I, you know, not outweigh, but I was just trying to elevate the experience as well. Yeah. So Josh, I got to tell you, dude, is that you bring to the table just as much as anybody that I've worked with, you know, I've worked with interns from USC. I've worked with a lot of quite a few of them, UCLA, CSUN. I don't know the other uh, Rancho, some, I don't know, um, a few of them, you know, that I've yeah. worked with uh, interns. That's what I've been doing for, um, I think, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 years now, I guess, maybe, no, maybe about eight, something like that, maybe a little more. Right. But anyways, uh, just that that value, you know, the the powerful thing is that um, one of the things I learned from Bobby is the power of network. And especially as it relates to what we're doing and the political arena and with the university level and all that, just that networking of 
of of uh, bringing those things together and the impact, the transformation, literally, that can be brought to cities. You know, of course, you got some that major on on research, research and data, and um, you know, evidence base, uh, and then moving right. along that line. You know, so because they got to, they're the guys that really. The, the people that with, with their boots on the ground, in the weeds, doing the work, because it's one thing in theory, when you got people that are educated and in theory, they're doing all these, uh, the theories yeah. and research, but it's a whole different thing in application. Right. When you're in moving practice, in the streets, yeah. yeah, practice, and you're moving in the streets and you're, you're, you're bringing, um, you know, ministering and touching families and you're there in the pain, the suffering, you know, that it moves beyond the theory. And I'm not saying they don't have it, you know, because, of course, you know, they... they both are you needed. Know, we, you need yeah, both. Yeah, we need them both because we need to understand uh, trauma, uh, trauma-informed, as they call it now. Uh, we need to understand the impact. And then, of course, um, uh, secondary trauma, you know, living out trauma that, you know, you work, you can work so much with people that are being... Um, um, have suffered trauma and you you're literally are uh, also secondary type trauma mm. because of you're so invested and you're so um, engulfed in what you're doing and what's happening with people and if you don't watch out if you don't have uh, practices of self-care and times of, of your own personal self-care then it could really mess you up you know mm. it'll it'll get to you you know if, if you don't have a good outlet for me is spirituality is Jesus Christ is meditation in the word of God is times of being quiet before the Lord is times of just allowing God to, to, you know, move in me because if not, man, I fall all apart, you know? Oh yeah. And, um, but I, all of those things, and I really, it just made more sense and it really helped me to um, understand more about you know taking the church outside the four walls and for me that's yeah. what it looked like you know right and even and even i mean even more so now it's just you've been consistent with um delivering that experience that church experience giving the word prayer you know worship um it's just in a different in a different uh uh medium now um and you know i love that you you we you're, you're, you're trying to em emphasize the fact that, you know, regardless of the building, you know, we're still going to worship. We're still doing what we do, you know, and you're continuing to move forward. And so you're, you're, you have a reputation of like, everybody knows you like the community pastor, like you're always out there. You were, you know, you the last two weekends you were doing um, toy giveaways and things like that. As of recording this, we're like two or three days away from Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and I gotta tell you, Tess, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just the other day, well, I, you know, I did the event with uh, first responders toy giveaway with LAPD, the sheriff's department, with the fire department, and I don't know how many entities were there representing as first responders, but I was <laughs> standing there with two of the most controversial guys right now, which would be number one, the chief of police, uh, Moore, and, and then the uh, sheriffs, uh, the chief of the sheriffs, uh, Villa, Villa, I know, never say his name, Villanueva, Villanueva. 
you know, uh, you know, I mean, only because the reality is that, you know, I would say darn if you do and darn if you don't, no matter what position you're in, you're never going to get it right. You're never, you know, going to be right for everybody, but you try to do the best you can and serve, you know, lead, lead from your heart, lead with compassion, lead with understanding. And of course, with transparency, you know, and I, I think that like, for example, I feel personally that our chief, um, more that he's one of those guys, man, that uh, leads, you know, with with that understanding, you know, and I know that's very controversial. No, no, Rudy, what the, you're talking about? I mean, I got friends that, man, they'll say F the cops. and F-12, cap. <laughs> yeah, the whole enchilada, right? And I want to say, yo, mama, no, I just kidding. <laughs> so like today, Josh, so today I did this um, a virtual Christmas party uh, through the Youth Diversion and development and we had i brought in the chief or i'm sorry the captain from mission police station and you know what's funny is because you know I, I wanted the kids to know that hey this captain believes in diversion this captain actually what does diversion up, mean so diversion means like instead of dude you got busted you got cited you you got caught and uh you're supposed to go to court you're supposed mm -hmm. to stand before a judge with the possibility of probation or whatever, right? Depending on how, what your record is and what you got on you. So when we divert them in these encounters with uh, LAPD, when they first get picked up, instead of going through the system, which I, I label it as in some of our systems as being traumatized, um, systems that are rooted in trauma. Mm. You know, whether it's in juvenile yeah. home, yeah. Uh, down in um, what, um, Shoot, LA downtown where I've been at. I forgot what the heck the county jail into the prison county. system. It feels like yeah. it's a racket. It feels like you know they want more and more people in that cycle in that system. Yeah, I'm sure there is, but I I gotta tell you, but um, you know all that is really changing, or at least that that's what all this is about. So in diversion, it meant that come instead last of chance. going through that system, boom, they redirect them to us. And we take a two-prong approach. Number one is to uh, educate them why you need to know, you know, know your rights. Don't break the, you know, you know, hey, you can't go around, you know, um, messing up, jumping people, or you can't yeah, go yeah. around robbing, or you assaulting, can't go around sexually you know, assaulting. And yeah, so like I had one cop. I did a, a training at Mission Police Station where all they had all the youth. Um, from the youth department for a mission station. So I'm giving a presentation, right? And uh, after the presentation, uh, and it's a huge paradigm shift because of the fact that usually uh, the police there at that setting, they're saying, well, what are they doing? How are they being punished? Well, wait a minute, that's what diversion is. It, it's not a, um, what's that word, uh, mm. punitive. Yeah, we're not taking them into something punitive, but rather we're taking them into something that's restorative. educational, restorative, and at the same time also developing. You know, some of the things I ask, hey, are you yeah. going? It's to like right away. It's like, oh, we want to punish them, but let's make them pay. Yeah, like you know, it's always you know, yeah, maybe there's a chance of grace, of mercy, doing the work. You know what I mean? And changing 
somebody's life as opposed to punish, 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 put you in the system. And you know what I mean? You're, you're a felon for the rest of your life. So Josh, guess what? Uh, according to our numbers, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, LAPD numbers, apparently uh, we're one of the, uh, we have, our numbers are really high, meaning, you know, I think we've had like 69 almost, or right about there, 60 something kids, right? Since, the, um, since we got involved in this program. And so the numbers so far, and of course we're we're asking for um, you know more reports, more transparency, but uh, the numbers speak uh, to what the captain values. The captain has already said we want to divert our youth, we want to impact our kids because if we can impact them as youth, then we can really help them to you know stay focused become good citizens and, you know, uh, do some good things in their life. And I, I'm amazed, Josh, because I, I got, I've had, I, I know I've had like 12-year-olds, 12-year-olds mm. that, you know, have come, but, you know, we're treating them separate, differently because, of course, you know, with the new um, law that passed recently, the 12-year-olds, you know, you have to handle them differently than the 13-year-olds. So, right. But so my point is that uh, we really do have a captain that understands that mm. and it has helped to uh, is trying to transform to shape or, you know, really de deconstruct that whole notion of, you know, lock them up, beat them up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? that's and good. So, yeah. So I really see it. And for me, the numbers speak for me, the referrals speak loud. And right. the, the way that they're doing that. And most recently, we're even seeing that the DA also has uh, reached out to the uh, uh, Silmar, the juvenile courts to uh, do the same thing. Mm. So that means we're going to see more. And I, I think, you know, we are going to see more diversion and all that. But the reality is, uh, is that after... You're, you're getting the, the training or the teaching, the education and the opportunity um, to, you know, change, develop and, you know, change, you know, those habits, those bad practices, those yeah, uh, destructive behaviors, destructive or... behaviors, you know, disrespectful, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that, um, you know, at least I, I think that we'll, we'll uh, decrease the numbers uh, that are leading to the prison pipeline. Mm. So that's really the goal of this, you know. Man, that's beautiful. So this is your heart. This is what you do. But, you know, on top of continuing to pastor and to lead, you know, the church in San Fernando, this is, this is also what you do. And um, it's beautiful. I love it. I feel like you're just getting started. Even I know you're getting up there and you're, you're looking for your exit strategy, but I feel like you're still going as strong as ever. Yeah. I, you know, Josh, I think uh, my exit strategy is, is to do what I do, what I love doing, but do it on my time. Yeah. On your terms. <laughs> on my terms, really. Right. Uh, because now I'm just trying to watch out for me and my woman over here. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> well dad i mean that's uh that's pretty yeah, much it yeah yeah it's over an hour but um 
just want to thank you for coming on and closing out this uh, first season. Uh, this year has been crazy. You know, I started the podcast uh, a year ago and um, plan to, you know, do consistent uh, bi-weekly episodes and then COVID messed everything up and got really, you know, distract, not distracted, but just kind of lost. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't, I, for me, I love to be in the same room. You know what I mean? You, you, you it's, you have that conversation when you're together, even, even this way is just a little bit weird, but yeah. you know, so I could, I couldn't get guests and, you know, to, to record. So, you know, gonna just have to adapt, you know, and make it happen via zoom or other avenues and, and just get these uh, incredible stories out They're They're, they're, they're encouraging. They give us hope. They let us know that we're not alone. Um, you know, it gives us, you know, so, some sometimes it's just what we need to hear you know what i mean that story and that yeah, encouragement yeah i gotta tell you is that um you know um in this new norm so-called new norm is that um you know as we work with young people it's about mentoring spending time you got to spend time and you know you got to do some things you know with some and have real talks and it's been a challenge to do that um through um you know zoom and all that where whereas um i have some youngsters that man i literally like spend a lot of time with them we're in the weeds meaning that we're doing events we're doing outreach we're moving here moving there we're eating we're breaking bread you know and all this mm -hmm. eating tacos etc but i gotta say that um, like i tell bobby and i've told others i go man i don't know what kind of impact we're going to be having through these kind of sessions as we're all practicing safety and whatnot. But today I was hopeful because of um, uh, the guy we had on today, um, um, Fabian <laughs> Alomar, Fabian Alomar, uh, Cholo tries, you know, uh, man, he did such an excellent job. And, and I was telling him prior to it, I go, dude, to engage the youth or it's one thing, but to keep them is another thing, you know, and man, right. he did it, you know, he did really well. And, uh, that, that, that gave me hope that gave me a ray of light that it is possible, you know, just having that guy, um, on there. And so that was really good. And then of course, also Josh to hear our captain tell the kids like, Hey, we're here for you guys. You know, if you need anything, reach out to me. I'm Captain Cortez and, right. you know, we're here for you. And um, you know what she told him? She said, whatever Pastor Rudy tells you to do, do it. You know, you're going to succeed. Just do what Pastor Rudy tells <laughs> you to. And this is what the uh, captain of um, Mission Station is telling them. So, yeah, uh, it's all good. He, he, the, he, the, the, the words, the wise words. Yeah, that was good. Woman power. Woman power? Yeah, I don't know yeah, why I'm listening to something. But, oh, yeah, yeah, because Captain Cortez, yeah. Um, yeah she's a woman. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And she's really good, dude. I, I like her, man. And um, she's good people. She's got a teenager. And she's letting them know, hey, I have a teenager. She gets in trouble, you know. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know we're here for you. Yeah. And help you through the toughest time of your life we're here for you bottom line that's awesome all right dad well thank you so much for coming on again for three parts <laughs> and uh, 
Josh, I'm really proud of you, dude. Um, you know, you got a gift, you got a calling. And um, I, I think the, for me, it's, it's been like, um, you know, always uh, fighting or, you know, just pushing through and just, Lord, who am I and what am I about and all that. I, I think, you know, I have more clarity on all that, you know. Yeah. As far as like um, what I'm doing and the direction and all that, you know. And all I can do is walk in that direction and, you know, just uh, pray and hope that it um, prospers and succeeds. And I think we just keep it as something. We keep it pretty simple, right? I mean, it's just, you know, we understand that the son of man, our example, Jesus, like he didn't come to be served, but to serve. So I think we just have that. I think it's, it's, it's rooted, you know what I mean? It's, it's in our, our, we just have that thing where we, know that we just need to serve you know in some way use our yeah, gifts DNA, our abilities man, our god our, gene yeah to just just to be able to help and um serve people and it's really all it is it's not that hard it's just being willing you know i think it's the will, being willing to do it um one of the things that always tripped me out was like when people would come up to jesus and ask them like hey are you willing to heal me are you willing you know what i mean yeah. So, which leads me to believe like you know you know maybe people who were who could help don't you know what i mean yeah. and 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 so that's really what i so try to that, do i i think what you're you know it's interesting what you're saying because it, it just speaks to the abuse and the lack of opportunities and the willingness and the the people being beat down so much you know that mm. uh who's lifting them up by people in power who are supposed to be there to help. Yeah. 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 And here comes Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dad. All right. Well, once again, thanks a lot. Right. This concludes season one. We'll probably have you back for season two. All right. Um, thank you. I count it an honor. Thank you, Josh. I'm really proud of you. Keep it going. Love you. All right, Dad. Love you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Still, the Iliad is dead, the Odyssey is over Found God within me, started searching for Jehovah What you searching for? Where you focus at? If it's happiness, no one can give you that It flows from within, it knows all your sins You can never win, being envious of other men Covetousness it's such a sin, wanting what other people have has become a trend. But don't bow down to the dollar bill, y'all. Commercial consumerism is trying to kill y'all. I'm trying to heal y'all.